In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Will all the children up through the sixth grade please come forward? hamburgers do you like hamburgers me too I love a good juicy hamburger I especially like the, homemade ones. the homemade ones at home yeah well let me ask you this I'll put your hand up everybody put your hand up no all the kids put your hand up okay now when I say something that you don't like on your hamburger put your hand down and keep it down okay okay hamburger meat you like hamburger meat um, hamburger buns um, cheese. Yeah, especially McDonald's. Well, especially McDonald's. Hold your hand. How about how about McDo- only McDonald's with cheese? None, none of the others. Uh, what about um, mayonnaise? Uh, you don't like mayonnaise. How about mustard? Ketchup. Um, onion. Hmm? Okay, keep your hand down. You, you already down, Hattie? Onions make your eyes water? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you love them. What about uh, ketchup? Oh, I didn't say ketchup. What about pickles? Pickles? Well, your hand's not up. Your hand's down. No, your hands are down. No, you keep your hands down. You're the only one up so far. Keep your, how about, how about um, lettuce? How about peanut butter? Oh. <laughs> you don't like peanut butter on your hamburgers? I like PB&J too, but not on my hamburgers, right? So, so that's complicated. You know, so most people, most kids especially, just like a simple hamburger, right? With buns and meat and maybe some sort of ketchup or mayonnaise or mustard. My skin gets dry and itchy. Your skin gets dry and itchy? <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, I like your dress. So, so let's talk about hamburgers, and then we, and we're going to move to what Jesus said. So, a simple. Wait, where are you going? No, over here. Over here. So anyway, so anyway, so um, hamburgers. Most kids like simple hamburgers, right? You know, when you grow up, people are going to talk about the kingdom of God, this wonderful, beautiful, generous, charitable kingdom of God where all of God's saints live, all of um, where God is, right? It's basically called the temple of God. No, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. So here, here's what I'm thinking about. Jesus today in the, in, the, in the gospel reading said, let the children come to me for t- to such as these belong the kingdom of God. You know, I think when we get a, to be adults, we begin to think all these complicated things about the kingdom of God and nobody's going to be able to get in. If I did this, I'm not going to get in. If I, if I don't believe this, I don't get in. I mean, we do have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We, we, we don't say that. So we have to. But, but Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is as simple as a, as a he didn't say the hamburger, but, but it's that simple, right? The kingdom of God. 
Get some cream for your dry skin while you're over there. <laughs> okay. And so the kingdom of God is like a, like a simple hammer. It's simple. And, and, he, and he said, children will receive the kingdom of God better than adults do sometimes. Right? Children, just like you. And it begins right here, by the way. If you, if you know the Lord Jesus, the kingdom of God begins right here. But on the other side of, of death, there is this, oh, I can't wait to see what it's like. It's so wonderful. I can't wait for any of us to see what it's like. But it begins right here because God's right here too right now. I do believe in God. Like, if you believe in God, you don't go to hell, but that doesn't mean if you just, like, adapt to God and you believe in Him, that doesn't mean it's okay to sin. That's right. If you believe in God, it doesn't mean it's okay to sin, right? But, well, but we believe in God, and God is going to give us the grace we need, and we're going to try to love God with all our hearts and our minds. We said it a while ago, and our hearts and our minds and our souls and we're going to try to live for God all of our lives and sin's going to get in the way it will get in the way but but the Lord's going to help us and grab us by the hand and bring us into heaven with him because we love him the Lord's going to do that what Luke 10 27 exactly somebody look that <laughs> exactly all right all right so, so if you where, where'd the usher go? Oh, he went to get the packets. Okay. He's got a packet. If y'all want a, a color and, and listen to the Father Larry preach the adult sermon, you want to? Go right over there and get a packet. He's going to be sitting right there in just a second. Okay, go get it. Go, go get it. Go get it. Make sure your sister's skin's okay. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Scripture as we reflect on and, me and meditate on your word. Open our minds and our hearts so that we can truly hear you. Amen. Amen. Welcome to St. Timothy on this 21st Sunday after Trinity. Well, uh, this week as I sat down to read and pray over today's Gospel of St. Mark, I found myself very challenged and really pray for God's guidance. Uh, Jesus' uncompromising statements about divorce and remarriage, which we just read, is very challenging and really counter-cultural than as it is then, as it is today. So it really hasn't changed. For Jews, and even more so for Greco-Romans during Jesus' time, divorce was just a normal part of life. Among Jewish legal experts, the Deuteronomy 24, one through four was the key text. One that assumes divorce will occur and prescribes procedures for carrying it out. However, there are other scriptures that call into question the acceptability of divorce. Genesis 2.24 says, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And we'll hear it again, because that's what Jesus quotes. Also in Malachi 2, 
Uh, he has quite an exegesis on this. He says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You keep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on you, offerings, and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Well, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offsprings. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Once again, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. The Pharisees are deviously testing Jesus. The Pharisees misunderstood scripture. More precisely, they misunderstand God's design and they misuse scripture to justify their errors. The Pharisees hope their question will expose Jesus as dangerous to families in light of what they consider scandalous comments by Jesus in the past, such as the one found in Mark 3, then Jesus' mother, brothers, arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus replied, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. A different idea of what the family is. Or in Mark 10, again, it says, Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me the gospel and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, however, eternal life. And lastly, in Mark 13, he says, brothers will betray brothers to death, and a father his child, Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. As you can see, these words probably upset the Pharisees quite a bit, and they said, well, we'll just extend it to divorce. Well, these are powerful words. They were difficult to comprehend and accept, not only by the Pharisees, but his own followers, then and now. The legal foundation regarding divorce the Pharisees had developed over a thousand years was based on Deuteronomy 24, one through four. And it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, 
and gives it to her and sends her from in house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Well, pretty strong words, but kind of biased. By the way, a wife could not divorce her husband or give him a certificate. This is a one-way uh, type of command. Well, Jesus is not constrained by the law and regards the law on divorce based on Deuteronomy as a concession to human weakness and offers a different perspective that is rooted in creation. As I said before, Jesus quotes Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. No, he said this. And then Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Only one, not two. Well, Jesus describes marriage as a strong and unifying bond between two people. It is because he sees marriage in such a way that he speaks against divorce as he does. Marriage in the ancient world, at least among the vast majority of society, was primarily a means of ensuring families' economic stability and social privileges by creating through offsprings interfamily alliances. A woman's destiny was essentially in the hands of her father and then, after marriage, her husband. The Pharisees neglected to mention a key piece of Deuteronomy 24, which requires a husband to give the certificate of divorce to his wife. Why was that so important? Well, the certificate provided a divorced woman with a defense against rumor and slander. Sometimes being accused is as harmful as being found guilty. For a majority of women in that culture, survival depended upon being a member of a household. A woman, perhaps with children without a husband and without means of explaining why she was unmarried, could become an outcast. The Pharisees, for some reason, found that little detail not so pertinent. When Jesus addresses his disciples, he seems to be speaking specifically against those who leave their partners for others. His point is that divorce does not offer a legal loophole to justify adultery. That is, his strongest words are against those who initiate divorce, sacrificing a spouse to satisfy one's desires or ambitions. Today in the modern world, like in the West, marriage has changed greatly. It is less about economics and more about people seeking mutual fulfillment. And while divorce still often leads people, and especially women, into financial hardship, divorced women today do not always find themselves doomed to the same social jeopardy many of their ancient counterparts faced. Nevertheless, this passage is not irrelevant. Jesus' teaching aimed at protecting women of this time from men who use divorce for their own benefit, thereby endangering women and children, is still valid today. It is not an accident that Mark next tells a story about Jesus 
dedication and blessing of the children. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Well, children at that time where Jesus was had less rights than women, essentially no rights or social status. The disciples have little compassion for the children, by the way. Jesus instead treasures and blesses them, not because of their innocent or their cute, but because he has concern over the vulnerable, scorned, marginalized, and for those beings that are ripe for extortion. For marriage transcends contractual obligations and economic utility. Instead, it is something rooted in the creation of humanity itself. Marriage is not a contract of convenience, casually formed and casually broken. Jesus compels churches to promote and foster healthy marriages. And in the case of divorce and remarriage, to extend compassion and facilitate healing. According to Jesus, marriage is a sacred institution with consequences when they fail. We can understand why failed marriages bring such pain to couples, but also to extended families and communities. Jesus brings into view the hurt and brokenness that come, even when the divorce appears to be the best option available. Let's not forget Jesus' special concern for children in a marriage. They are often victimized when parents divorce. We need to respect and understand the rationale behind Jesus' prohibition to divorce that we find in Mark's Gospel. We also must realize that the church has painfully learned over the recent generations that to impose this passage literally and unbreakable can result in the church denying protection and grace to those who need it the most. However, we cannot view Jesus' word as quaint and outdated. Mark's gospel tells us to regard marriage in clear contrast to our culture's tendencies to treat commitment and love as conditional. In conclusion, the Anglican Roman Catholic Committee of New York, I found this recently, uh, issued this statement on Christian marriage as an aid to spouses and clergy concerned with the marriages of Anglicans and Roman Catholics, which I believe captures the full meaning of a sacramental marriage. Christian marriage is the sacred, life-sharing bond in which spouses unite in Christ to live in happiness, grow in holiness, and share this happiness and holiness with their children. For the church, marriage is the natural lifelong union of a man and a woman created by God and made a sacrament by Christ. It is the strength of the church and the foundation of society. I'd like to conclude with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, grant us the strength to hold fast to our vows. 
When we got married, we promised to love, honor, and cherish each other, and as long as we both shall live. And so we ask that you teach us to love the way that we should, with patience and kindness, forgiveness, and grace. Amen. Amen.